0: Just visit america subscribe and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections.
1: And welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the young, hip, and lay editors of America Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Zach Davis.
2: Ashley, I've come on the show today to announce that after 22 years (laughs) and seven Super Bowl rings, I'm retiring from professional podcasting. Oh wow. <laughs> Just kidding, I'm never giving this up. Uh, so get used to me. I will we yeah. will transition from young hip and lay to old mm-hmm. broken hip. And uh still lay.
1: Yeah, I think that makes us more dedicated than Tom Brady.
2: Yeah, and happy happy February to you. Um it's a it's the a worst sad, month. It's but for me, it's a really exciting month because my birthday's in February, my wife's birthday's in February, President's Day, big day, <laughs> Black History Month. It's a great month. I do not understand all the dumping on February. So
1: Have you been outside? Have you walked through the ginormous lakes of frozen, slushy black melted snow there are on every corner?
2: Other than that. <laughs> It's a great month, and this is a great show to kick off what a great month this is.
1: Indeed. So this week during Signs of the Times, we're going to talk about the Pope's monthly prayer intention uh, in which he encourages nuns to fight back when they're treated unfairly by men in the church.
2: And later, we're, uh, we're talking about tattoos um we're talking to a Jesuit who's a professor and sociologist at Boston College who wrote an article for America titled For many a tattoo isn't just ink it's a religious experience um i don't have any tattoos i, know, I don't i, I do know not. you do not um <laughs> but i've you know i've i've thought about it is many people say um and it's a fascinating conversation uh, that i think opens up a, a lot of uh, windows into the lives of young people and their religious experience and their willingness to get tattoos
1: And finally, and as one friend speaks to another, we talk about the importance of religion and being in person. But before we get to all of that, what is on tap this week, Zach?
2: So uh, as recommended to us by our guest this week, Gustavo Morello, SJ, he hails from Argentina, so he suggested that we have some Malbec. So we've got some here from Mendoza, which I'm loving.
1: Yes. Yeah, we, we already talked to Gustavo <laughs> over a glass, and it is quite smooth.
2: Yeah, so our sec- <laughs> this next part of the show is going to be over the second glass. Yes, so cheers. and
1: equally smooth, I'm sure. And now we have Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. What's our first story, Zach? So, at the start of each
2: month, uh, the Pope's, this organization called the Pope's Worldwide Prayer Network, uh, posts a short video of Pope Francis offering his specific prayer intention for the month.
1: Right. And this month, he is offering it for religious and consecrated women. And his his message to them was pretty pointed. He invited them to fight back when in some cases they are treated unfairly, even within the church, when they serve so much that they are reduced to servitude at times by men of the church.
2: Yeah, so this was, um, as, you, as you mentioned, very pointed. And it's worth bringing up some context here because this is not coming out of nowhere. There is a, a history of fractured relationships between the Vatican and communities of women religious.
1: Right. So I think a helpful way to look at this is through kind of like the story of this women's magazine that is published by the official Vatican newspaper. Uh, It's called Women Church World. And in recent years, they've been doing some really like in-depth stories about the experience of women religious in the church. And it's not flattering (laughs) to the church. You know, they had a report, you know, that talks about how you have these you Know women religious uh, working for bishops and priests basically as like their servants, servants like they clean the house, cook the kick the food, aren't even invited to sit at the table to eat this meal that they've cooked, they eat in the kitchen like, not what you would think between you
2: know, like a synodal church to, <laughs> yeah, to use Francis's desires. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also report, like they've also reported on, uh, the sexual abuse of nuns by priests, and and also like what happens after that is they'll go to report it to their their superiors, and you know they'll be basically psychologically abused within their own communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these stories are all being reported in this magazine, Women Church World. It's really groundbreaking stuff. And then after all of that, they had their entire editorial staff resign.
1: Right. Exactly. So, <laughs> like. This is what happens when women do speak up and fight back as Pope Francis is telling them to do um the the editor in chief of of the magazine said you know after these stories had come out that she felt like people within the Vatican newspaper were trying to get more editorial control trying to delegitimize the voices that were being published in this magazine by by recruiting other women writers to to contradict them in the pages of Observatory Romano and so yeah like you said the editor in chief and the entire board quit and protest
2: yeah so i i i just feel like when we talk about issues of women in the church this is somehow one that always gets overlooked right because you just assume like oh nuns they're just they're 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 company men
1: right right? and and when we do talk about nuns it's often like oh Feel good stories about nuns playing basketball or like stereotyping nuns as like the mean person hitting you with a ruler in a classroom.
2: Yeah. And seeing them in their in their full humanity is something that, you know, all of us in, in the church have, have failed to do in some way. And so I, at the end of the day, this this hurts the church. And so I think we need to pay closer attention to it. And so I was, I, I think we were glad to see that the Pope was highlighting this in his monthly prayer intention. What's our next story, Ashley.
1: Some more nun news. (laughs) Yes. This is
2: happier Uh, nun news.
1: Yes. Well, kind of. A a woman religious has died. Her name was uh, Sister Janet Mead. She died on January 26 at the age of 84 after uh, a bout with cancer. And she is famous for her 1974 rock hit uh, version of The Lord's Prayer.
2: The Lord's Prayer, Sister Janet's version. (laughs) Yes. Which uh, was, if you haven't heard it, we're going to play a little bit of it. Um, But... I'm sure you have. Uh, it's basically I don't think a- I
1: had heard it before no? I heard this news. It, it rang
2: some bells for <laughs> okay. me. Um, it's basically a rock and roll version of the Our Father. And it just like crushed charts. I, I, I It's hard to imagine a, a, a song like this climbing charts today.
1: Oh, yeah. It peaked at number four in the United States, number three in Australia. She's from Adelaide. Right, Zach and I got to go a couple years ago. She got gold records for the single. She's only the I think second woman religious to make the Billboard 100, and
2: and the only woman religious to lose out to Elvis Presley <laughs> yes, for a she- Grammy.
1: <laughs> she was nominated, but lost out to Elvis. Which you know, I losing to Elvis is an accomplishment in itself. Yes.
2: Um, now, if you ha- if you remember the song, uh, it's worth bringing up. You know, you know, however many years later, what was this song? Good. Despite, you know, because we listen to a lot of music from the 70s uh, and not all of it's really good.
1: I would say this is a song very much of its time. What a nice
2: way to say you don't like it. (laughs)
1: I will, it is stuck in my head. I will give it that. It's an it earworm. is it is catchy. Yep. Uh I would not want to hear this song in the context of the mass.
2: So this is an important distinction I think, right? Yes. You know, is it good is separate from is it liturgically appropriate? Mm-hmm. Uh my 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 estimation is that it's good. It slaps. <laughs> it's so catchy. Um probably not liturgically appropriate. I have no. some more uh I have different liturgical preferences. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it would be very divisive. But you know what? The 70s were a wild time, you know, for liturgical music. Mm-hmm. And so, in comparison to some of the other things that were published around this time, this would be fine in church. Well, today.
1: okay. So I will give you that. Unlike some songs of the era, the the lyrics are at least not heretical. <laughs> and, you know, just yes. taking it straight from the Lord's prayer. But that in itself, I think, is a problem. The the mismatch between the lyrics and the music, the you know, when you are singing the Lord's prayer, you are praying, and your attention should be directed towards God. And there is no way you are listening to this song <laughs> and not thinking about like like flower children, like dancing in circles.
2: <laughs> you know, I uh, I just think that you need to broaden your horizon a little bit. Find God <laughs> in all things. God is in the flower children and the birds. But you know, as a tool for evangelization, I mean, for this to get to the to the top of the charts, to have this many people, you know. I think if they're singing the Lord's Prayer, it it counts twice. First of all, if they're <laughs> if they're singing it, and this definitely counts as singing it. I, I, I do think this would offend some more traditional sensibilities. Mm-hmm. So my proposed solution for to end the liturgical wars in uh, in the English speaking world is to keep this same tune, but we're going to do it in Latin. So, <laughs> Pater Noster,
1: oh, no.
2: and I think that's going to please everybody.
1: All right. You seem skeptical. I'm. I'm a little skeptical. Okay. And I also don't want us to, you know, focus so much on this, as you said, divisive song, that we lose sight of Sister Janet's greater legacy, because she was not just a rock star.
2: No, she. You know, this is really a life of uh, of service to the gospel, um, and. You know, she in two thousand four, she was named uh, South Australian of the Year for for decades of caring for the homeless.
1: She also donated all the royalties from this song to charity. She refused to get rich of this. She could. She was invited to tour the United States and didn't do it because she wanted to continue working with the homeless in Adelaide.
2: I know it's 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 really incredible, and in there are Catholic stories of Catholic sisters like this all over. Um, not all of them record chart topping hits, uh, <laughs> but we are we we are grateful for a life. Uh, well-lived Sister Janet. Um, thank you so much. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna leave you with uh, a taste of Sister Janet's masterpiece. Uh, so anyway, here's our father.
1: Joining us from Boston is Father Gustavo Morello. Gustavo is a Jesuit priest and an associate professor of sociology at Boston College. Welcome to Jesuitical, Gustavo.
3: Thank you, Ashley. Thank you for having me.
2: Thanks for being here. All right, now before we get into like the general topic of tattoos, we first have to ask, uh, how many tattoos do you have?
3: G- uh, nice to see you, Jack. Nice to meet <laughs> yes. you. Uh, yes. I Good I to don't have too. I don't have any tattoo yet. Uh, let's no, put not, it in that way. Okay? Not, not, yet. not yet. I was never thinking about tattoos, but then when I started to do the research and and some tattoos and some Places and some stories appear. It's like okay, le- let me consider that. You
2: know. Now would you have to? Would you have to ask for permission from a superior to get a tattoo? I have
3: no idea, and I'm not <laughs> going to ask about that. You know.
1: <laughs> okay. Ask. Ask. Yes. Ask for forgiveness, yes, not permission. Yes, the Jesuit way. <laughs>
3: yeah, that
1: that's better, yeah. So I did not. My I grew up in a you know Catholic family, uh, but. My parents weren't particularly strict, but there was a very strong rule against tattoos i was I was not allowed to get tattoos. I was not to get more than one ear piercing. Um, and I'm wondering where the i I don't know if that was religiously motivated by my parents or what, but there does seem to be you know general religious hang-ups about tattoos. Where do you think that comes from?
3: Well, tattoos have always been a kind of ambiguous practice. If you think about, for example, our my parent's generation, I'm 55, so I guess I am the generation of your parents. So if you think about my parent's generation, and if you were close to World War II, tattoos were an ignominious way of branding people in the concentration camps. So there is some practice that has been very awful about tattoos. There are reports nowadays that some women that are trafficked are, are marked by by the by the gangs uh, with tattoos so it is true that tattoos are an ambiguous are a human creation as and as many other human things there is an ambiguity towards tattoo uh, that is still there for older generations it was something strange of I mean the low life people like uh, criminals or or, or or some kind of Drunks that will have tattoos in my city. I, I grew up in Cordoba. I was in the middle of Argentina. Tattoos were something from the, the from sailors, and we don't have seaside, so it was very strange to see a tattoo in in, in my city. So it's, it's it's as any other human creation it became fashionable and fashionable and fashionable again.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think it's definitely the case that they're more in fashion today than than previously. Yes. Um, I wonder if you could hone in on what are some like traditional religious objections to tattoos? I know people love to cite like some random Bible verses.
3: First thing that you have to know about the Bible is that they never talk about tattoos because tattoo is a word that comes from the Polynesian language that came into English and the Western languages in the 1700s. So we have to look for different words and, and, and what do they mean? There is the Leviticus prohibition, the banning about tattoos, uh, where God said the people of Israel, you shouldn't get a tattoo. People who read that said it has to do with the custom of branding the slaves. So when God is saying you don't tattoo, it's saying you don't brand people. However, the Song of the Songs, for example, will say uh, the beloved will tell the the lover, "I, I have you as a tattoo on my heart.
2: You know, and, a and tattoo over my heart. Over
3: my heart. And that's also a biblical uh, Old Testament statement. So there is this tradition about tattoos or tattoos as a fringe thing, something on the borders, on the edges, that I think has to do with, uh, with religious provision but also has to do with uh, social customs. Tattoos reduce in the Western world. And the religious practice at the end of the nineteenth century, in part because it was the, the thing of getting tattoo in a church. It happened in Loreto in Italy. It happened in, in some churches in Jerusalem. Was during the, the big festivity, you know. So you go for a pilgrimage, and they will put tables outside the church, and people will be doing tattoo. So it was a festival of ink and blood. That once you have some sense of hy- hygiene and and like, and, and caring of the people. say okay, we have to stop this, you know, so. So the
2: way you would get like a passport stamp, you would like go yeah a tattoo. tattoo. Yeah, like if if you went to
3: Santiago kind of thing, if you did the way of Santiago, you get the passport stamp. If you went to Loreto, you you get the tattoo. If you go to Jerusalem, to Jerusalem, you get the tattoo.
2: Wow. That, and then they figured out, you know, can't share needles. That's a bad idea. Uh, 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 uh,
3: <laughs> yeah, it took, it took some time to figure out that, but yeah. yeah.
1: Well, I, it's, I think that is starting to come back. I know we have we have two colleagues at America who went on a pilgrimage to the Holy Land and and got tattoos there at this. There's a, apparently a tattoo shop there that's been in existence for centuries. With this Tattoo. One. Started yeah. in the 1300s. <laughs> that's the one I'm thinking
3: about, okay? Okay, so, yeah. Starting so, starting in the so, 1300s to do tattoos for pilgrimage.
1: All right. So that's been going on for a while. And it does seem like it's becoming um, more popular among people of my generation to get tattoos, religious or otherwise. So so what accounts for this increased popularity?
3: If you think about 30, 40 years ago, you get a tattoo that was on a, on a flight on the wall of the tattoo parlor. And that, that was the thing that you could get. Okay. now you as as a person can design your own tattoo and you can engage with uh, the artists in the creation of something that appeals to you more than something that was set on the walls of a tattoo parlor. So I think that there is more the idea that tattoo is part of kind of the fine arts thing that we we can be creative about that is a piece of art. So that's one thing. Tattoos have becoming uh, trendy and fashionable as uh, some other body modifications like hairstyles or, or 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 different clothing or so in our culture they are appearing more and more in different spaces. I'm not saying that every tattoo is religious. I'm not saying that uh, all that people have a tattoo have a kind of of, of spiritual mambo going on there. like it's, it's... I'm saying that there are more tattoos and tattoos have always been a religious practice. So perhaps for a generation of centennial, 30 something and less, there might be in the tattoos, a religious experience that they are talking about.
2: You know, it's interesting because we're also at a time when people our age are uh, decreasing their participation and traditional religious practice, Yes, right? But this is coinciding at the same time as this era of, you know, customization, of getting tattoos, of thinking of them as, you know, possible religious experiences. What do you you think accounts for that or or, or how should we be thinking about that?
3: I do think that uh, while measuring church attendance is a good way to keep going, understanding religion and looking at religious activity, I think that we have to incorporate other ways of thinking about that. I think it's a huge problem that we have in sociology today that we keep asking for the same practices that we asked in 1940 something when Gallup started to measure religious practices, when everything else has changed in our society. We don't live in the same way that we lived in the 1940s. So why keep asking? in terms of religion, the same kind of things that we ask in the 1940s. I understand the importance of that data, but I do think that there are other ways of practicing religion outside and inside institutions that have been hidden, that have been ignored by the uh, researchers, like the tattoos, for example, that are a good way to measure to see if there are other ways in which people are experiencing uh, the transcendence, are connecting with God in, in another way. So if you think about the tattoo, it takes two years most of the people who have a tattoo said it took two years for them to think about a tattoo. We have people who just went to Jerusalem and came back with a tattoo without thinking (laughs) about that. But there are people who, usually people take two years to think about a tattoo.
2: Like the idea first pops in their head. Yeah, and and then you
3: design and those things. Uh, Zach, that's called discernment. Mm. Okay? Second thing, whatever they will say to you about tattoos, tattoos hurt. They are painful. That's called asceticism. And tattoos, you can remove, you can do whatever you want, but you don't get the tattoo to be removed next year. So tattoos are forever. That means commitment. Tattoos help people to tell their own stories. I got this tattoo when this happened, or this was something important for me, and I can tell you about that. Those four elements are religious: Discernment, asceticism, commitment, narrative. Those are dynamics that are close to religion. So in that sense, tattoos are a practice that, again, Okay, there may be something there that is similar, that is uh, close to religious practices that we may think about. You know.
1: So those those are words that you know maybe you, as a sociologist and a Jesuit, would use to describe the religious aspect of tattoos. But I'm wondering if you've if you've spoken to young people or anyone who would maybe describe themselves as as not religious or a so called nun. How how do they describe that experience? What what words do they put to it?
3: So we we did a a, a project, a research project with some students here at BC, and we asked people to talk about meaningful tattoos. And there are different things. There are many tattoos that represent other people, which is super interesting because if you think about tattoos, you think about your own body, something that is super personal, uh, deep embedded in your own identity. I mean, you're you're putting your body through something that is uh, meaningful and painful.
2: And it's something, and the body is, you know, in particular, yes. typically in religious spaces, something that young people are taught to, to, you know, feel shame over, feel distrust over, I think, is interesting too.
3: Uh, yes. Uh, uh, however, I think that in many places we have changed the idea of the body in, in terms of religion. So if you are a young person and religious people are telling you to feel shame about your body leave that leave that place okay just so go to another <laughs> place don't, don't yeah. stay there okay he saves this with church yeah
1: uh, you say it's often about other people. And like, I think maybe the most stereotypical tattoo I can think of is like a heart with mom.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That's one, but also, uh, uh, hearts or, 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 uh, capital letters that mean some people who have passed away, Mm. grandparents, some parents who have passed away, people who are very close to your heart that you want to keep because you live some experience through that, um, shared tattoos between, we have a lot of shared tattoos between mothers and daughters. We didn't find in our sample that is limited fathers and sons, but mm. we have mothers and daughters trying to get the same tattoo or some kind of complementary tattoo. Um, people get tattoos also, to, also as, as memorials of, of other people. Sometimes our tattoos are a kind of rever- have a reversal power. We have many people who have gone through different illnesses or sexual abuse that use the tattoo to recover power upon their bodies. So someone or something was hurting them uh, in a way that they didn't control. Now with the tattoo, they are modifying their body in, under the control, you know, in, in a way that that brings them the, the, the agency again on, on their bodies. And then we have people who have devotional tattoos, people who will have a tattoo of Our Lady because they did a promise and they got the tattoo. You have in Brooklyn, New York, in this uh, feast of, of the Giglio of Our Lady of the Carmen in in, in our, La- people, our
2: lady of mount carmel the feast uh, in Brook. Yeah, yes yeah, yeah.
3: yes that we have a tattoo of the of the of the tower that they do and, and people will get those tattoos in order to pay devotion to to our lady there i think it's important to think about the tattoos also as an interesting way for the non-affiliated that uh, you mentioned Ashley, to express their own spirituality if you are a religious person or baseball fan, you may have a T-shirt of your group, or, or, or you have a pendant, or you may have a necklace. If you are a non-affiliated person, and you want to express your uh, religious identity, your spirituality in a non-affiliated way, tattoos is a kind of cool way to do so, because there is no religious appropriation. These Tattoos are not confessional. In that sense, you know, it doesn't. If you have a rosary, you are a Catholic. I mean, there is no way around that. Yeah, that's a uh, giveaway. <laughs> you know, but, but if you have a tattoo, but you may be different things. You know, and the tattoo may represent different things that perhaps they are not so obvious. I I I met a journalist in in, in Barcelona a couple of years ago when I was talking about this uh, this topic. He showed me on on the back of his uh, arm on his tricep. He has a tattoo of a triangle. Just a, a triangle. And I said, what does it mean? Well, he says it's a long story, but it's a, a friend of mine who passed away. The guy was 27, a, a woman his age who passed away. And we were very close. And this is my way to represent her because you, you move your arm and there is no right or wrong position for a triangle. I, I didn't go further in the conversation, but there was something about honoring your death. Uh, that we do that through religion in many cases that appear here in the tattoo.
2: Wondering if you could shift into maybe Jesuit spiritual director real quick. And are there any rules for discernment that someone could take for getting a tattoo?
3: I will say take the two years. Okay. So just think about <laughs> Take the, two years. Okay. Take two years. Okay. That would be the first thing. No, but I think it has, you have to think about that. You, you win something when you get the tattoo, but you also lose something. You, you have not the same body anymore. So I would say, I would say also start small, start in a place that you can cover it up, uh, in case you, you don't like it or, or something like that. But also think about what does it mean for you? Why do you want that? What is what is what you want to represent, and what is about the design? You know, because there may be a, a there may be a beautiful idea, a beautiful experience that you can represent, but perhaps the aesthetics is not the coolest one. You know, there is something about the art that is not there
2: in my more shameful moments as a big brother, I was furious with my sister for getting a tattoo, mostly because she chose a font that I thought, and I think is, is very out of style.
3: You see what yes. I'm telling you? Yeah. Yes, so yeah. so, so, so yeah. she
2: could have taken two years, I think, to yeah. think about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: that's what I'm saying. The other thing that you she may have done to please you and to calm uh, her big brother is to have your name.
2: <laughs> yeah, so, she could have done that too. Like, uh, uh, I love uh, my brother.
3: Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, something like that, you know? And <laughs> some people do that when they have families that are reluctant to tattoos or they have religious uh, objections to tattoo. The first tattoo that they get is <laughs> kind of something towards their family or their religious tradition. So you cannot go against Jesus, you know? So you that's have to yeah. oh, something it funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: But do you think that process of, you know, taking the time, Thinking about the, the design and the beauty, thinking about the meaning. Is is meaningful even if you even if you don't get a tattoo in the end, is it okay to decide no? Um, yes. But but like I've I've, you know, gone through this process and I found things that if I were to get a tattoo in the subjunctive, this is what I would get.
1: Yeah, I've I've thought about getting a fox tattoo for many years, but don't think I'm ever actually gonna do it. <laughs> well, but,
3: but, uh, yeah, yes, and I, and I think it's, it's not. I'm not advocating for uh, tattoos for everyone. I'm just saying, okay, let's pay attention to that because forty percent of the centennials have a tattoo today. That's the, the figures that we have. Uh, so, what if some of them are saying something else? What if there is something more going on there that we we are dismissing? with the tattoos, you know. It's like, guys, if if you are familiar with Latin American religiosity and the the pilgrimage, it's like if a person who is preparing a whole year to go to Our Lady of Guadalupe, but during that year, she doesn't go to church, surveys will consider this person as not religious. And you say, come on, she has been working for a year to go to Guadalupe. And you say that the whole year doesn't matter because she didn't go to church. So I think there's a process there that we should pay attention to.
1: The Catholic Church, or at least the people who we talk to, are often like, what can the Catholic Church do to reach nuns or millennials who are disengaged young people? I I can imagine a priest, you know, saying, Oh, like tattoos, <laughs> those are cool. But the second the church is like, We like tattoos, they no longer are cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. so what what are some like actually helpful things that that church leaders who are concerned about reaching young people could take from this, some, like, action items for what this says about young people and what it takes to really engage with them? I think
3: that listening to the stories behind the tattoos will be a good way to start, you know, what, what does people try to say about the tattoos what what's the story behind the tattoo uh, why this tattoo was important for you at that moment of your life what does it mean now you know and just the the, the exercise of listening to these people would be great second thing is i would say is like okay like people have tattoos people have tattoos that you may don't like people may have tattoos that you hate but they have the right to worship to connect in different ways than you are used to and and I think that tattoos have that kind of of power of challenging the status quo you know it's like okay like th- there is something else going on th- there even if I don't understand that I came across the tattoos because I was working on other projects in in Latin America we asked people to bring pictures of things that were meaningful for them and we have 20 something people bringing tattoos hmm. and tattoos that were not obviously religious they were the name of the children's but the names of the children that the, the this guy got the the moment of his firstborn was born. So it's when you became a father. I mean, the tattoo is the mark of you becoming a father. So it's, I mean, there is something powerful about that, about your own identity. You, you change the person you were. I mean, you are, you are not anymore this kind of happy young adult without any commitment. You have a child now.
2: Yeah, I think the this idea of commitment is so interesting because we typically uh, think of people my generation, or a generation of, is not committed or not being willing to commit to anything. Um, but as you mentioned, like this, this idea of a semi-permanent, if not very permanent, mark on your body, is is extremely personal and yes. extremely committed. Yes, um, which I think sh- should shape how we view young people's willingness to engage in these things.
3: Yes, yes, and and the the, the cool story behind that is that, uh, as I mentioned, in many cases. Those commitments have to do with the group, have to do with the community. So even when super personal, mm-hmm. with, with intimate, uh, tattoos are not uh, individualistic. You know, are, are individual, but not individualistic. It's not just about yourself and nothing else. It, that tries to relate you to others. I mean, even the tattoos that you that you can easily show to other people is just to you are you are promoting yourself. I mean, you are, you are showing off who you are and you want to tell something about the story. Nobody, it's like the, the lamp that you hide under the bed. I mean, nobody gets a tattoo to hide it. I mean, if you get a yeah. tattoo, you want to talk about the tattoo at some point.
2: Are there are there any uh, stories of tattoos that, that that particularly stick with you as meaningful?
3: Uh, there are, for example, outside the Catholic tradition, when I was reading about that and I didn't meet any person with this, but um, I start talking about the Holocaust. In, in the Jewish tradition, tattoos are are, are banned because of the Leviticus uh, banning. But then you know that in the Holocaust, the Nazis uh, tattooed the Jewish people. Now the grandchildren and the children, some of the children or the people who were victims of the Holocaust are getting the number of their family members in their arms just to honor the memory of these people, which is super powerful because it's very Jewish to honor the Shoah, to have a memory of what happened, but you do that with the with the tools of your enemy. So what used to be a sign of humiliation became a sign of, of proud of pride and memory of what happened, which is basically most of what happened with the with the dynamics of the tattoos. The first Christian tattoos were re-signifying, changing the meaning of the branding of an emperor who will tattoo Christians are slaves of Caesar. Christian started to read that as slaves of Christ, you know. I found many stories about um, after people after illnesses, a woman who has uh, rheumatoid arthritis, uh, very painful, deforming her her body, and she decided to get a tattoo. And she said that she wanted both things, to modify her body on her own terms and to be able to control the pain. And the tattoo provides her this, this uh, possibility of doing both things. So the tattoo uh, is not just, and, 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 and she tattooed the, the word in, in Spanish, creo, I believe. And that was her statement on her body. You know, it's, uh, I think that's also uh, something powerful.
2: Just uh, to just believe. to tie it up, that is my sister's tattoo that I was furious about. Is, I believe, is believe yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's a nice yeah. put bow on the conversation. Yeah. I think.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah. So Gustavo, thank you so much for talking to us about this. I'm sure, I'm sure, we have young people who are very grateful that they can now go to their parents and say, "A priest said it's okay."
0: So. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs>
1: We do have one final question that we ask all of our guests. Okay. Uh, so if you could canonize one person, living or dead, Catholic or not, fictional or real.
3: Tattooed or not.
1: Tattooed or not. <laughs> who would it be and why?
3: Wow. I didn't think about that. I mean, like your production <laughs> didn't talk really, <laughs> about this. We like uh, to, we like uh, to yeah, get surprised. surprise answers. Uh, <laughs> I, I th- we were talking about that lately, but I think Dorothy Day would be a great, a great saint. I mean, she was fantastic as a modern uh, woman who carry on her Christian, uh, Catholic, and Christian convictions all over the place. I think she she, she appeals a lot to uh, many different people. She also is a proof that there can be sainthood in New York. You know, I mean, that's very cool to prove. I mean, it's very important too, that okay, you can became a saint in 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 New York, which is great in a godless
2: place like yeah, this. yeah, 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 <laughs>
3: kind of yeah, yeah.
2: But but no, Pope Francis, not a fellow Argentinian. Uh, <laughs>
3: No, I, I, I should be more more uh, modest, I guess. No, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think about something there, I would say. And, and I think Dorothy Day will be very cool. Uh, awesome. St. Dorothy yeah. Day. Pray for yeah. us.
2: Yeah. All right, Gustavo, uh, thanks so much for, for joining us on the podcast. Um, again, the article in America is, for many, a tattoo isn't just ink. It's a religious experience.
3: Uh, thanks so much. Thank you, Zach. Thank you, Ashley.
4: You plus God equals y'all. Come south for a silent retreat at Ignatius House and enjoy 20 acres of natural forest on the river's edge. Ignatius House offers a tranquil setting for prayer and spiritual direction, all conveniently close to the city of Atlanta. To learn more, visit ignatiushouse.org. The National Institute for Newman Studies invites you to their conference, The Earthly Light of Friendship, Newman's Circle, Influence, and Integrity which will take place online and in person on March 11th and 12th, 2022. This symposium will explore some of Newman's relationships and how they influenced his life and thought, as well as how the stories of both Newman's friends and foes are told. For information and to register, visit www.newmanstudies.org.
1: It's time for some housekeeping. You probably saw on your feed this week that we have a new bonus episode for our Patreon members. We talk with our friend and colleague, Carrie Weber, who wrote a really great essay titled You'll Never Regret Going to the Funeral. Carrie is of, you know, Irish Catholic descent, and so the two things those Irish Catholics are good at is going to wakes and funerals and telling stories. So it's a great conversation.
2: Yeah, it, this essay really impacted a lot of people. So I, I, I was happy to talk to her about it and get some of the inside story behind it. Um, and we want to thank our new Patreon supporters in the past week. Uh, so thank you so much to JJ Trujillo and uh, Jay Taylor. Thank you guys so much. Uh, They've got access to that episode and all of our bonus episodes in our library. Uh, And you can join them and get access to all of that and support the show by going to patreon.com slash americamedia. And we also want to remind you that we're going to Italy. Um, We've been a little annoying about promoting it, so I apologize. But uh, it's important because uh, during the first few weeks of February, February 1st to February 18th, our partners at Select are giving $350 off any new registration, which is uh, their biggest sale ever. And so if you've been on the fence about coming with us, it's it's a great itinerary. We're going to the Vatican, Assisi, Venice, Tuscany, Siena. Uh, I'll turn
1: 32 during the trip. You'll get to celebrate my birthday. We've
2: not been plugging that (laughs) enough. I know. Yeah, we're we're (laughs) celebrating ashley's birthday on the trip uh you can do that uh check out the link in our show notes uh, and also you can find more information in our twitter feed and facebook group
1: and now it's time for as one friend speaks to another the part of our show where we talk about where we're finding god in our lives what do you have this week zach
2: so uh this week i I was on a trip to uh see some very good friends uh and old friends from that now have recently moved to nashville um these people that i were in my New York group who I who you know were in my wedding, but they moved away. They've done the New York Exodus thing yeah, and got a
1: place where they can afford to I, buy a house. Yeah, you know. I know
2: how rude of them.
1: <laughs> and
2: as I'm getting older, I'm realizing like I, I I need to be much more intentional about you know actually getting to see people in person because the fact of the matter is I am I am a bad long distance friend. Um, I'm bad at texting. I'm bad at posting on my Instagram. Um, all these things and. This coincided at the same time as this you know essay in the New York Times uh, that was about basically arguing that churches should should drop their online worship services because it basically suggested that in-person worship was optional and that you know for Christians in particular, like the the Incarnation suggests that you know in-person worship, you know embodied worship is is, is fundamental to how we, how we do this thing. Um, and it's just kind of it, like both of those things happening at the same time, right? Like sort of being with a friend in person in the flesh and also uh, thinking about the importance of being in mass because if I'm honest, it's it's been tough to drag myself there, right? Like I, I've been, the times I've gone, it's been out of, you know, I know I need to go. In the same way, like I know I need to eat my vegetables. I know I need to go to my parish But like in building in-person community is really hard and it sort of feels like I'm dragging myself there.
1: No, I totally relate to that. Like I spent a ton of time with my, my first niece because I was living at home with my parents and seeing them all the time. And now I'm coming, you know, I'm know back in Brooklyn all the time and I'm like oh wait <laughs> now my niece is growing up and I'm like every time I see her she's she's like learn new words and like doing ballet or something <laughs> and so I do I'm realizing I do need to like rethink about how I'm engaging in that relationship and then in terms of church yeah I I I never liked online worship I did it no, maybe the first either. like yeah. two weeks but did find myself during the pandemic having this excuse to not go to mass that you know i could tell myself oh i'm i'm being safe and healthy and what you were which you yeah, were yeah um but then I, you know once once i broke the habit i was surprised by how hard it was to get back into it um and i did make it a point at you know like the new year i was like okay i'm going to mass every sunday and i've and i've done it but i i it has also felt like I'm dragging myself there sometimes, especially like this weekend. There was a little bit of snow here, and uh, had every every reason to to not go. There was a there was a NFC Championship, a lot happening. of good football, <laughs> a lot um, of good football. Yeah, very gross out. But I I get, I went, I mean, you know, once you're there, you never regret it. And I was you know loved being there. But
2: No, but, and I've had a similar experience where, like, uh, at our parish, they, one of the things they do is um, baptisms happen just sort of in the regular flow of mass. They're not, like, the separate event that only the family goes to. Like, everybody sees it. And, you know, I was just reminding myself, like, I, or it was a reminder to me that there's, like, a correlation between how st- – Good, strong, whatever adjective I'm feeling in my faith, and how recent, like I've witnessed a sacrament. Mm-hmm. You you miss that in when you're all live streaming on YouTube, and the mm-hmm. only thing you see is a username, right? And so I, how we think about in-person community as uh, our generation and then generation after us, like becomes more allergic to in-person community, I think is gonna be a real challenge into how much we indulge or engage in the virtual world versus the in-person world. Um, Because I do think there is something to this like incarnational aspect of our faith, you know, pushing us towards the in-person stuff. So listeners, I will leave you with that this week. You know, are there people in your life that you've, you know, made a point to, 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 to see in person or either you know, soon or soon after the pandemic is is end over over whenever that happens. And what's your relationship been with going to church in person, right? And what are some of the in-person communities that have been most meaningful to you? And how do you think that's going to change as we increasingly become more metaversed?
1: All right. Good questions to sit with. Jesuitical is produced by Sebastian Gomes with production assistance from Kevin Jackson and Kira Hanlon. Our sound engineer is Kevin Christopher Robles. Faith formation provided by Father Eric Sundrup. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Jesuitical. Please subscribe to us wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you're on Apple or Spotify, leave us a Could review. Could you please
2: do that? There's one annoying review on there right now. I'm sure you'll see if you go to Apple. <laughs> and I would just love that to just be like,
1: Bury it. <laughs> Bury it. Thank you. <laughs> and Just What is recorded in the William J. Lochert Studio at American Media in New York City. For American Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Zach Davis. We'll see you next week.
0: Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.